to to know and believe and, and understand your love that allows us, Lord, to overcome so many things in this world. And we are here to celebrate you, to lift you up and worship you today. Lord, take this time, this time of praise and glory and honor. And Lord, be blessed, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Take a moment to greet somebody around you. You can cross the aisles and move about.
That's good. So, uh, just a couple quick announcements. We're in uh, the process. We're in our summer Sabbath time, so that means there's no Sunday school or midweek programs for the most part going on. Um, next week, our service is at 10 o'clock, and uh, Steve Dunmire is going to be sharing, so be sure to come back for that. Uh, currently, this next couple weeks, Wes and Cindy are on vacation, so keep them in prayer that God will refresh them and, um, and prepare them for ministry ahead uh, as they are out couple other things when you use that word refresh reminds me of the refresh bible camp family camp is coming up in a couple weeks so you might want to be thinking about that it's a great time for yourselves to take a little break from the routine and get together with a bunch of others and celebrate have fun pray sing and be taught and learn so consider that and look at that in your calendars and see if you can make an opportunity it's right up here in houghton and a good opportunity to to just be refreshed and and encouraged in your walk with god and also, just a reminder, this week coming up, um, our teens are going in a local mission project in Love Buffalo. They'll be up in Buffalo. So during this week, um, consider uh, to be praying for them and, uh, and let God work in their lives and through their lives. And at this time, Nancy Murphy is going to share a little bit about the World Family Kids Camp that just completed. Hello. This year, for the first time in quite a few years, we had campers given the opportunity to do some baking at camp. So, much like a recipe for cookies, a great week of camp filled with positive memories requires essential ingredients mixed together in the correct order and proportion. So here's our recipe for an amazing week at camp. We started with an ever-present and loving God. And then for our royal court theme, we added drama and Bible stories based on the story of Esther. Next, we folded in our verse, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is so that you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Then we added more than 100 prayer partners and over 80 financial donors. We mixed this up and we stirred in 51 campers, ages 6 through 12, 26 counselors, ages 18 through, well, we won't go there, 33 residential staff, day staff, and one fire juggler. And you may be asking, well, what is the evidence that these ingredients produced an amazing week of positive memories? Well, as they say, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Lori Dash now was kind enough as a day worker to write down some of the campers' comments. And here's what they had to say. I caught a big fish off the dock. It was approximately a foot long. I also loved teaching my friend how to swim. Someday, I'd like to be a lifeguard. The magic guy was awesome. He even signed my swimming band, see? I get to fish, swim, and hang out with my buddies. One camper said, this is my third year at camp, and as always, and here's the proof, I love, love the pudding. Really, the real pudding. It looks like chocolate pudding, but I don't know if it is. 
Whatever it is, it is out of this world. And I love, love this little purple face fan I've been able to buy with my carnival tickets. And I've been in the bounce house 10,000 times, and I'm really, really hot. This is my third year at camp, and as always, I love the giant Velcro sticky. I stay up there for like an hour or however long I'm allowed to stay, and it's like I'm getting one, where's the pastor, super big wedgie. I also like what I can see up from up there because otherwise I'm kind of small and short, but up there I can see everything and it's absolutely wacky. I love the hula hooping for the talent show. I've done it four at a time and I'm really good at it. Sometimes the hoops go down to my knees, which is really fun. I also love the drama plays. The girl, Queen Esther, is really good to God. I don't know if King Xerxes knows that, but somehow I think he eventually will. I like making shields with glitter because it's like God is showing off. The rest of my shield should be white to show that God is getting rid of all the darkness. The green helmet is like the grass so the bad guys cannot see the good guys wearing them, the helmets, and this proves that God can never be defeated. Also, the bad guys will be trapped by the black spikes sticking out of the armor. And the cross in the middle of the shield is at the very center, and it symbolizes Jesus' death on the cross. I'm 12, and I've been here for three years, and I'm graduating. And I'm kind of sad, but me and Mrs. Wright now are our best buds, plus I'll always remember Mrs. Moore. This is my sixth year at camp, and when I first came, I thought, everyone, get away from me. It's too crowded. But all of that changed by the end of the first day, and I was like, wow, this is terrific. As I look back on all the years, I can truly say they were amazing. I'm happy to leave now only because I know that with me graduating, other children can come in my place next year. One of the things we do at camp is to have a graduation ceremony for the 12-year-olds. We plant a tree, and this year's tree was called Chosen One, named by the staff of Camp Asbury. Jess Romance led the campers in singing a song that's very special to RFKC called I Will Change Your Name. One camper was listening very closely to the words. Just before leaving camp unexpectedly, this little guy shared with one of our staff. He said he hated his old name. And she asked what it was because she wasn't sure if this is an issue where he was having to take a step-parent's name or what was going on. And it was kind of out of the blue. But without batting an eye, he said, my old name was outcast and afraid, but I love my new name. And when she asked him what that was, he said, confidence and friend of God. We trust that God is doing a good work in the hearts and lives of these children, and we want to thank so many of you who have contributed in so many different ways. Thank you. I'd like to invite you to stand now as we sing together hymn number 377, A
please remain standing, and you'll find in your bulletin the prayer of confession, which we'll read together and pray together at this time. Please pray with me. Eternal Father, we live in a world of great pain, heartache, and despair. Far too often, we have been enamored with our own struggles and uninterested in the struggles of others. We know that you call us to care for others, even as we care for ourselves. Forgive our apathy, slothfulness, and self-centeredness. Help us to see the needs of others right around us, to pray for compassion about their needs, and to seek ways to be your agents of healing, peace, and grace. Through Christ, amen. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading this morning can be found in Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 25. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? At this time, I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward for our tithes and offerings.
spend the next few moments in prayer turning to our God who we turn to for our help and, and we lift prayers or petition and adoration and confession the altar is open if you'd like to come up certainly join with me up here and, and pray um, obviously you can remain in your seats there are a few chairs up here if kneeling is difficult you can sit up here uh, near the altar if you'd like to do that let us spend some time now um, turning to our Lord and Savior in prayer God, how good it is to be here, 
to be gathered with so many others who are seeking you, walking with you, worshiping you. Together in unison, Lord, we adore you. We are awestruck in the many ways that you reach out to us in love and that your compassion, Lord, your mercies, they're new every day. And Lord, no day goes by that you are not with us. There's no moment. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And so God, we, we turn to you, Lord. For whom else is there to turn to that is so close and so such a friend during times of trouble and to some we can turn to and celebrate in times of joy and victory. Lord, we know there are any number of people here today that are grieving and have health concerns. And so we bring just a few of these that come to our mind in Florence Tuber, my dad, Bunny, Mike Raybuck, Jill Kingdon Tyson, Bruce Benneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler. Lord, we lift these people to you with all their needs and ask God that you will continue to work miraculously in their lives, not only physically, medically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. We think of the recovery efforts that continue to go on in Nepal. We pray for those that are still trying to figure out what's the next step in their lives. Whether it's property that has been completely destroyed or the loss of loved ones. We think of Christians around the world who face threats and persecution. And with that, Lord, we think of those in northeastern Nigeria where a recent bombing took place and a pastor and, and four others, Lord, were killed. And Lord, there are other many places as well. Even with our own, our own country, Lord, we remember those down in Charleston, South Carolina, who continue to mourn the loss. And yet in the midst of that, Lord, they were able to lift you up and praise you and offer forgiveness. We thank you, God, that in the midst of those difficult times, in the midst of persecution, your Christians, if they can hold strong and faithful to you, Lord, that you will give them strength and carry them through. We thank you for these transformed lives from the Royal Family Kids Camp. Just listening to these little tidbits of information and quotes and comments and, and description of events. Oh God, we pray for these lives. That somehow you'll multiply this week into a year, into a lifetime. Lord, we saw how you took a, a few loaves and fish and, and you multiplied it and fed thousands. And so we plead, God, that you would do likewise in this week of time. That it would just continue on for a lifetime in these precious lives. And thank, thank you, God, for those who participated and gave of themselves. And we pray, Lord, that no doubt they are wrestling through with the events, the fun and the joy, but Lord, no doubt impacted by the things they saw and witnessed in those little lives. So we pray for them, God, that you would 
rejuvenate and strengthen them and may they be encouraged and, and feel the honor that you bestow upon them as they have given of their time and energy and love. And we thought, Lord, we also think of the Frasers as they head out soon to the mission field and they're traveling about and we pray for them, for their financial support, for safety on the roads, for prayer supporters and for what lies ahead for them. We ask God that you will provide for their needs. And as we think of missions, we think finally here, Lord, of our own local youth and, and Pastor John and the others. They'll be up in Buffalo. And during this week, God, we pray for anointing on the entire time and the people involved. But, oh God, you would miraculously accomplish great things in our youth's lives and the adults and those that are participating up there, those who are being reached out to that they would somehow sense and feel and know that this is you working through the lives of others, that your love would be discovered and lives would be changed, not just the buildings and and the the yards and, and whatever, but God, that lives would be impacted and changed for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, we bring all these requests and, and others that have been verbalized quietly and in our hearts, Lord, to you, the one who has taught us to pray, and that we now pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For I is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The New Testament and Gospel reading this morning can be found in Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel. And following the reading, children ages 2 through 5 can be dismissed for Children's Church. Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
The moon and stars they went, the morning sun was dead, the Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon him. One final breath he gave, and on that blackest day, the Son of God was
You may be seated. I, I hardly think that those kids expected what they saw. And I don't know how many of you, when you first saw that, I, I happened to see this yesterday in, in Facebook, and it was being sent around. And uh, the clip that was in Facebook was essentially what you saw there. And so I did a little Googling, and I'm sure you figured out by now that that was a little bit of a prank that was going on. And there's a, the first minute, I don't want to spoil the fun for you, but the first minute was a young boy who's a professional skateboardist getting, uh, getting all this makeup thrown on him. And he's dressed up like an older gentleman, probably looking over 80-ish. But for me, the expressions are just absolutely priceless of these kids as they, they see him kind of go from kind of being tugged around on the board and then he's got a little bit of a, a skate and step process going and they're clapping for him like, oh, wow, look at the guy going, just kind of giving him encouragement. And then as he goes over and he says, he must have said something, I want to go, I don't know a word of what was said. <laughs> if it had been in German or Czech, maybe, but no clue what they were saying. But anyway, as he goes over to the edge and he gets on that, I, I'm sure their thoughts are thinking, this is going to be disaster. And as he first goes over and he disappears with the camera, you can see in the background like, <clears throat> and, they're and then all of a sudden, and he scoots out the other side and does a little half pike or whatever they call those things. They're like, it's over. And it's just a fun thing. The, the, the expectations of what these young people had, given the circumstances, given what they know about the park and all the things that are going on there. Um, it's, it's not a lot different than that Old Testament reading in some ways. Um, with, with Laban and Jacob. Jacob, a little bit of the background there, Jacob is having to flee his homeland because he stole the blessing from his older brother Esau. And Rebecca, his mom, said, and she overhears Esau, he is furious. And Isaac, the dad who gave the blessing, thinking it was Esau, but had been deceived, and gave the blessing to Jacob, when Esau figures this out, He's going to wait until his dad dies. His dad's not doing well. And as soon as his dad's died, he's going to go get Jacob and kill him. And Rebecca knows this. And so in that sense, in that knowledge, in that situation, Jacob flees because Rebecca says, go to Haran. My, my brother, Laban, my, your uncle, lives there. He's got a, a family. He'll take you in and head over there. And so in that situation, Jacob's fleeing. He comes across. He's however long it takes him to get over to Haran. And as he's approaching, there's this well out there in the, in the desert area or whatever the scene is. And he sees a lot of shepherds and tons of sheep gathered around. And he walks over and he asks a few questions. Does anybody know Laban by any chance? Oh, yeah, we know Laban, yeah. He lives just around the, like the third mountain over with the big tree and all that kind of stuff. And to describe where Laban lives, how is it with him? Oh, he's doing great. Ah, right there. There's Rachel. That's his, that's his daughter. She's coming over right now. And late, or, uh, Jacob sees Rachel approaching and thinks, wow, she's pretty. And he runs over and greets her. Hey, I'm your cousin. My mom and your dad are brother, sister. And gives her you know, a kiss and probably a, a greeting kiss. But we do know that Jacob kind of likes Rachel. So hopefully it was just a little greeting kiss. But that's the beginning of the introduction of Jacob into Laban's family. Well, Rebecca, or Rachel takes um, and runs off home to tell Laban her dad, explains what's going on, that Jacob is come to the area and Jacob is watering the sheep 
in the meantime. And so Laban's all excited about this. So Laban runs back to the well where the sheep are and everybody, and he sees Jacob, and he's all excited. It's kind of like this mini family reunion, all the excitement. They don't get together a ton, apparently, and it's just to see his, his sister's son and has come over, and, and Jacob explains. I don't know if he got into the real details of what's going on, but as Jacob explains that he'd like to stay for a while, Laban says, absolutely, your place is mine. And you can kind of picture him walking off, shoulder, hand on his shoulder, talking to Jacob, trying to catch up on old times. And, you know, well, how's, uh, how's Rebecca doing? And, and how's your dad? And all these kinds of things. And after about a month, Laban says to Jacob, you know, this is great. I, this, is, this has been like the greatest month. You know, this is so great having here. But I can't, you know, your family... And just because your family, I can't take advantage of you. What could I give you in return for your work? And Jacob's thinking, wow, I really like Rachel. This, this could be it. This is a chance maybe. And he, Laban, I really like Rachel. What's, I'll, I'll work for seven years if you would give me Rachel in return as a wife. And for Laban, this is like kind of a win-win situation. Rachel's going to remain in the family, so to speak. This is family. In those days, that was a very common thing to happen, and it was encouraging and stuff. And so Laban's like, absolutely, this is great. I mean, you can almost think the celebration starts right away, in a sense, in Laban's heart. And so for seven years, Jacob is serving and, and living there in that family, and you can imagine the bonding, the excitement, and the thrill, and all the things that are developed over those seven years, the friendships, the expectations that are developing in the knowledge as they get to know each other pretty well. And finally, seven years comes to the end, and Jacob says to Laban, hey, you know, I think it's been close to seven years, you know, and according to my calendar anyway. And Laban says, you know, I think you're right. And, and Laban's got a little problem that Jacob has no clue about. Laban is thinking, really, Leah, the older sister, or the older daughter, she needs to be married off first. That's tradition. And, and Laban doesn't know what to think. And he said, you know what, Jacob, a couple days, let's go ahead and have this. We'll have a great big party. We'll celebrate. And yeah, you're right. It's time. It's time. And it's quite possible that Laban, in that little interim of time, after asking for the hand in marriage officially and the actual wedding itself, that Laban probably must have gone to Leah because Leah plays along with this little scheme it says, Leah, Jacob wants to marry Rachel, and, and that's good. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I, I'm all excited about it. But you know what? You're the oldest, and, and you really, we, I want you to be married off first. That's just the way it should be. And in some way, he's convinced her that this is good. This is a great idea. And so what you need to do, you're always, you know, the brides are going to be veiled anyway. Nobody can see you. That's the way it is traditionally. But we're going to make sure that Jacob doesn't know that you are Leah and he's thinking you're Rachel. And so everything's, the plans are set up. The celebration begins and it's a, it's a massive celebration. No doubt. It's probably a, a full day partying, loads of uh, dancing and wine and just absolute celebration. As the family is just all excited about what's going on. And as the evening winds comes down, you know, and then officially, finally, uh, Laban says, well, you know, whatever they do for that actual ceremony, but that last minute, as Jacob and Rachel walk off, um, it's dark. It's been a long day, a lot of wine. And Leah's thinking, I, dad told me he cannot know who I am. So she no doubt did the best that she could to remain covered. And as they lay down that evening and they, they slept together, Jacob had no clue. 
Now, we could stop right there and just think, what are the expectations of Jacob? Think of it. He's been there seven years. He's had a great relationship. He's enjoyed time with this family that he's come to love. And now he's married the love of his life. It said that he just, when he saw her, he fell in love with her. So the next morning, sun comes up, shines in through the crack in the mud wall or whatever they've got, catches Jacob. Whew. Oh, man. And he just thinks, I'm married. And Rachel is right here. <laughs> this is Leah. What's going on here? And he, he just races out and he runs to Laban. What have you done? And Laban explains to him that tradition has it that the oldest daughter needs to be married off first. And I couldn't leave. I couldn't do that to Leah. You can have Rachel. Just finish the week out of marriage week with Leah. And I'll give you Rachel. And then you can work another seven years for Rachel. And so that's what happens. But I, I wish I could have had like one of those little cameras and see the expression on Jacob's face when he turns and rolls over or however it is that he discovers this isn't Rachel. This is Leah. Confusion. Well, expectations, they're an interesting thing. And, and I think expectations can get mingled together a little bit with hope. And what do we hope for? What do we expect? And they're not exactly the same. There's, there's a slight difference in the two, but for a minute, let's just take and think about how do we form? What are, what are the expectations? How do they come up in our lives? Last night, I'm a Pirates fan. I've been a Pirates fan since, man, since the mid-60s when I was just barely able to walk and throw and play catch in North Carolina. I just love the Pirates. And I've been excited, especially the last three years after about 20 years of hibernation. And they were playing the St. Louis Cardinals. And man, the Cardinals are in first, the Pirates are in second. And this is important. My poor wife has to deal with this, and especially when the Cardinals and the Pirates are playing. And as we put our heads down last night, it was going into the 14th inning. The Pirates had come, up, come from behind three times. And to get in that game alone, I thought, oh, you know, and here it is, the top of the 14th. And I look, I don't have a TV to watch the game. So I'm looking at my little phone and I see the little dot that somebody's on first base and this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh man, somebody's on. And then the next little thing, the little line goes this and boom, there's a run. And there's no outs. And I said to Cindy, I turned, she, she can testify. I turned the phone off and tossed it. And I said, well, that's it. I'm going to bed. You know? And I put my head down. You cannot imagine. I had really, I hoped the Pirates would win, but I didn't expect it. And this morning when I find out that McCutcheon hits a, in the bottom of the 14th, hits a two-run homer, and they win the game. You know, hope, expectations. Man, I hope, I sure hope they win the game, but I didn't expect it when I put my head down. That happens. That happens to us. We, have, we develop expectations based on the situations that are around us, our, our knowledge of things. You think of ice fishermen, and I, I think I've mentioned this before here, but they go out and they get these special devices to cut holes in the ice. And I often thought to myself, what would happen if you're out of bunks, you know, in Wisconsin or up in the Adirondacks, wherever there's just like two feet of ice, and you're going to do some ice fishing, and everybody goes out there with a little device to cut the hole in the ice, is like, like this big, and they got their little tip-ups and they're setting up. If somebody walks out with a big old chainsaw, and cranks out this huge hole, and everybody would say, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to catch a big one. You know, because those sinking little holes are now to get much out. You know, what do they expect? They expect to get little fish. What happens if they catch a big one? Do they cut a bigger hole to get the fish out? And so we have expectations. We develop them based on our knowledge of situations. And it creates a, a mixture, a blend of hope, anticipation, 
expectations. Knowledge plays into it. And so what I'd like us to do just for a minute, I want to give you a very rudimentary description here for a second on expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Okay, it's a strong belief that something will happen or will be the case in the future. Okay, hope is interesting. It's a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. You want it to happen, but realize it might not. So there's a slight difference there. You're hoping something will happen, but you realize it may not. In expectation, we expect something to happen. When we think of this passage in the New Testament, and we we look at Jesus, what can we gain? What, What expectations evolve for us and develop for us as we look at this passage? Well, Based on the passage, we have the added advantage of knowing kind of the big picture in today's world. We have scripture. We can read it and have been reading it, no doubt. I'm sure most of you have been through the Bible, maybe not all the way through it, but you've hit the highlights, all all of us. You know, we, we are pretty familiar with the Bible for the most part in this room, and some really well. That scares me sometimes, but... So we got expectations based on our our knowledge of the Bible and our reading of it. And so as we look at this scene and we think about it for a minute, what else is going to play into it? Well, what do we know of Jesus? And again, we have to think of the scriptures. Well, let's go back to like his his first miracle that's recorded. Water being turned into wine. There he is. He's at a wedding celebration. The party's been winding and going and... And all of a sudden, they're out of wine. And the servants are kind of standing around like, what are we going to do now? And Mary says, hey, go talk to Jesus over there. He'll tell you what to do. And they're like, okay. Jesus is like, oh, mom, <laughs> this isn't really the right time. And they come over and say, so, your mom says the, 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 you're going to tell us what to do. We need wine. And you kind of know the story. He says, well, fill those pots, empty them, and fill them up with water, and dip into it, and take it out, and serve the guests. And I'm sure the servants are kind of thinking, hmm, this is going to be interesting. We'll give water to people instead of wine. But the miracle happens, and that water is turned into wine. And as they serve it up, people are like, wow, this is great. And the head waiter is like, what's going on? And he, he runs over, and he gets a little sip of this stuff, and he thinks, wow. This stuff's great. And he runs over to the bridegroom. Man, most people wait until the end and they bring out the horrible stuff that it doesn't really matter, you know. And, and you've got the best stuff coming out. And so we see expectations begin to build. Those who knew who Jesus was, Mary for sure, those who were relatives and close friends started to sense something new about who Jesus was. Now they've been living and knew him for about 30 years. As he starts into this time of ministry, Then things really start to fly. A little later in time, Jesus has developed the following. He's been talking and teaching in temples and stuff. And people are becoming quite interested and they're following him around. He's got this crowd and he's headed down and he's down by the Sea of Galilee. And there's a crowd that's come down there. And as he turns and looks at him, he's thinking, how am I going to communicate effectively with him? And there's all these fishermen, Simon, and, and there's James and... John and others down there. And he says to Simon, hey, Simon, could you, could I get in your boat? You're fixing their nets from a night of fishing and they didn't catch anything. 
And could you just take me out a few yards so I can turn and talk to the people and address the crowd? Yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so they hop in the boat and they go out and Jesus talks and he shares. And then he turns to Simon and he says, Simon, let's go out a little further and let's throw the net over. Now, Simon's expectations aren't probably very high. He just spent an entire night fishing. He's a fisherman. Jesus talks a good talk, but is he really a fisherman kind of thing? But you know what? Because he says, okay, I'll do it, Jesus. Yep, I'll go out. And he paddles the boat out a little further, throws the net over. And you can kind of picture him, he throws the net over and says, this guy doesn't have a clue what he was doing. I don't know why I'm doing this. I didn't get to fix all my nets. And as he starts to pull it in, it's heavy. Did he catch it on the bottom? Did he snag something? All of a sudden, a fish flops. And all of a sudden, it's just, the thing is just filled with fish. And he's yelling to the guys, we got so many fish, get out here. And so they bring the other boats out and they, they take in the fish that tear the nets up. Expectations started to fly. Peter turned to Jesus in that whole scene and said, I don't belong in your presence. He started to, something started to sink in for Simon, Peter. And Jesus said, you've been fishing for fish. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And there he begins to grab a few disciples that travel with Jesus. And so the, 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 the reputation, if you will, of Jesus begins to, to go and filter out through the world around them, the, the neighborhood. And expectations are high now. Jesus is doing all these kinds of things and, and he's healing people and, and man, he's a great communicator. And, and I don't know, the, the, the book could not be written to hold all that took place. We just get little pieces and glimpses of what happens in those three years. But it's fascinating, the pieces that we get to read about and hear about, that's fascinating. And you can just sense that Jesus is becoming extremely popular for good and bad reasons. Some of them are thinking he's going to become the king of everything and he's going to wipe out all these Romans and finally we're going to be in in leadership and we'll have our place and we'll have our land and all this. And others are just, just so pleased and thrilled to be around him. He's such a great person. And they love the things they're learning about him, about God. And so there's this really odd aura that's kind of developing as people hear and see and and watch Jesus do things. And we come to a a scene that's really fascinating, I think. And Lazarus has died. Jesus has been out communicating and teaching. And he's been told that Lazarus is quite ill. And if you don't, you need to come home. And Mary and Martha wanted him to come home. and, And Jesus doesn't. He continues to teach, and then a little bit later, he finds out that Lazarus has died. And, and Jesus is saddened, but I think he's saddened not so much about the fact that Lazarus has died, but he knows the heartache and the lives of those who love Lazarus. And as he gets home, they greet him, they run out, oh, Jesus, if only you had been here. They, they had expectations. They fully expected that Jesus would show up and save the day. But Jesus didn't show up. He didn't save the day. And now Lazarus is dead. And they're brokenhearted. And Jesus hurts for them. Because they don't understand. They don't get the big picture. And they said, where have they laid him? And up there, they they point to wherever the tomb is. And he walks up there. And he, he interacts with God. And then he says, open the tomb. Now, these people have seen an awful lot of stuff going on. And it'd be really interesting to, to know what was going on in the minds? We know one person says, uh, he's been dead a while and it's not gonna be pretty and it's gonna smell. And other people are thinking, what's he doing? 
Why would you want to open the tomb up? Hope, expectations, I think are, are kind of colliding in this scene. And Jesus said, open the tomb. And so they open the tomb. And then he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And out walks Lazarus. Fascinating. And hope and expectations are just flying at that moment in time. And I suspect there were some who had hope. He's opening the tomb. What you, there's no way. Do you think he's, what's going to happen? And they had all this, what's going to happen? And hope was welling up. Could he do something? What, could he raise Lazarus from the dead? Really? And expectations were saying, not a chance. This guy's been dead four days. And so you have this battle going on. It's a fantastic scene. Now we're going to jump beyond the scripture reading. Christ is on the, the cross. And he's gone through this brutal beating, mockery, and all the things that went with it. He's up on the cross and he's nailed to it. And you got to wonder, those that are gathered around, both the good and the bad, what were the expectations? What were the hope? What was going on in their minds? Jesus had done all these things. And you can, you can sure think that some people are hoping he wouldn't die. I just, you know, you, know, you, can't, you can't die. And, and they're thinking and praying and, and crying out. And others are just fully expecting him to just pop, pop, pull the nail out and get down and just walk off. Kind of like, he can do that. He's Jesus. He's God. At least he says he is. On either side of him are two criminals that are being crucified. And one of them starts to grumble and said, hey, you say to other people and you, you know, come on, you know, and just kind of chides and yells a little bit and grumbles with Jesus. You say, come on, get us out of this mess we're in. And then the other guy says to that guy, and Jesus is in the middle of this little conversation going on. And he said, hey, why don't you shut up over there, buddy? We deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. He's a good man. And then he says, Jesus, remember me. And then Jesus says, all right, let's go. And off they walk? No. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. And ultimately, the three of them die. He didn't do what a lot of people expected. And those who were hoping for a whole new kingdom, their hopes were dashed and their hearts were crushed. Their expectations weren't met. Their hopes died in that whole scene. And Christ is taken off. And then this song that we just sung a moment ago, just what a, what a great thing. He rises. Jesus raises himself from the dead. Victory over death. And things change. And man, there's an explosion of, of belief. And the, and the church just evolves out of this incredible thing. And to the point that even some of these guys who've been walking around with Jesus and were wrestling with, is, it, is he God or who is he? I'm not sure. Peter says he is. And they were wrestling with things. And after he dies, they're really confused. They're huddled up in a little corner, up in a room, wondering, what do we do now, guys? We're next, you know, because we hung out with him, you know. And Peter, Peter denied him during the, the process prior to the crucifixion. And you can know they're scared. And all of a sudden, everything changes when Christ shows up, walking into that room. And these guys are all of a sudden, expectations and hope get bammed right together and they have more hope than you can imagine and they'd have there's there's no limit to their expectations anymore to the point that the vast majority of them died serving jesus why because they knew the truth they knew what to expect they knew all hope was in this man that just overcame death himself 
And what a, what, a, what a great thing. So as we wrap this up, I guess, what can we learn based on this for ourselves today? What, what are some things that we can take with this? No matter what we think or expect, we need to go to God with our request. Jesus, in that New Testament passage that was read, Jesus is facing crucifixion. He knows what's going to happen. But in spite of what he knew to be happening, he still goes to God the Father. He takes the 11 disciples that are remaining. Judas has gone off to betray him. And they go down to the garden. And eight of them, he kind of sets out in the front and says, hey, keep praying. And he walks in a little further. And he says, Peter, James, and John, we're praying together. And he says, my heart's heavy to the point of death. And he steps on it, just keep watch. And he goes a little further. And he pours out his heart. And he knows what's up. He's God. And yet, in spite of what he knew, he still begged and pleaded. He had hope. He knew what to expect, but there was hope in Jesus saying, God the Father, if there's any way we can do this that I can't see, I'd love it if we could just change this. But you know what? Not my will. And that's not a cop-out. That's a truth. That's Jesus saying, not my will, but yours. And he does this not once, not twice, but he does it three times. So what do we learn? We know in the midst of our trials and tribute, things look really bleak sometimes. We, it's, it's just like impossible. We, our expectations say this is what's going to happen. Well, you know what? doesn't matter. We have hope in Jesus Christ. Go and pray. And don't pray just once. Be willing to pray over and over and saying, oh God, please. I'd, I don't know how my mom or this or my brother or my son or whatever it is. is I don't know how this is going to happen. But I know you can do it. And God, I I just come to you and I beg and plead that you could somehow change the circumstances and healing or whatever it is. But you know what, God? Whatever your will is, be done. I just want you to know. I want you to know because Jesus did this, I'm doing it too. And I'm going to come to you and I'm going to pray. And it's it's okay to continue to pray over and over about a situation. I think I just kind of take a little side tour here for a second. I remember in Taiwan years ago... um, at a Buddhist temple, and we were a missionary from Conservative Baptist Foreign Missions, and that's what the name of it was, I think it's CBI now, um, was taking us to a Buddhist temple and showing us how they, their religion works, and he kind of walked us through the process, and so eventually, he just picked out this woman, and he said, now kind of watch, and he describes the process, I can't remember it completely, uh, she has the, she purchases some items uh, for incense and whatever, and then she goes to the next level. She heads into the temple area that's an open temple, and then she has to do something else here. And finally, she gets these three little chips that look like a peanut shell, uh, um, and then they're kind of like sawn right in half. And so they're rounded on one side and flat on the other. And then she stands out in the open area, and she offers some kind of prayer, and the incense is going, and she tosses the chips in the air, and they land. And however they land, that's the answer, yes or no. And so he's describing this to us as this young lady does all this. And when they land, she just stared at him for a second. And I kid you not, she looked around, <laughs> she grabbed those chips and shook them again and tossed them again. And, and the, tie, the, the Baptist guy said, I've never seen that before. You know? and, but you know what? God would have us toss the chips again. You know? Keep praying. Keep coming back until the answer is there. We have every right and expectation that God expects us. I mean, Jesus did. Why can't we come back and pray and pray and pray and let him know? While we wait on the Lord, 
This is important. We need to remain faithful and continue to trust his ways. We must determine that God knows best and genuinely accept that truth. God loves a cheerful giver. Hmm? You know, when we give offerings, tithes, whatever, it's, it's a great thing. It's a privilege that we have to honor God. And he loves it when we can do it and just be encouraged and excited about doing it. And I think God loves a cheerful servant. And as we wrestle with issues in our life, can we, can we muster up the courage and strength that God would give us? And as we sit and wait for things that we're unsure about, can we continue to serve in love and gratitude for who he is and what he might do? And what he has done, can we continue with a cheerful heart? You know, there's that, that, there's that thing, um, doing all things, you know, prayer requests and all things with thanksgiving. And pray without ceasing, but in thanksgiving. And so there's a challenge for us. Do we see a cheerful heart in Jesus? I don't know. We see a struggling person in the moment of that prayer. But what we do see and this just came to me as I sat here and I listened to Matt read this morning. We do see this, that when they finish the prayer and the soldiers come, what did Jesus say? Rise, let us go. He didn't sit there and kick his feet and scream and yell, God didn't do it. Dead, he, oh God, why? He said, rise, let us go. And he marched forward with what was facing him. And I think those are a good example for us. Think of um, some examples uh, other than Jesus. We think of Stephen or Stephen um, when he's being stoned to death in the New Testament there. And he says, forgive them. As he dies, he is somehow able to, with the strength of God, to portray love for those, those very people who are killing him. He jumped back in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. As they started to head into that, they said, hey, we're not going to bow down to anybody else. God can save us. And if he doesn't, that's okay. That's his choice. But they didn't hesitate to remain confident and serve God in spite of the circumstances around them. So I guess um, last thoughts and we'll close in prayer. We can expect, we can expect a couple things. We can expect that God will accomplish his good and perfect will. We can expect that. Jesus came and prayed and said, oh God, if there's any way that this can be altered and changed in, my, in hope, if there's a way, let's do it. But if not, your will be done. We can expect God's will to be done. And it's a good and a perfect will. We can expect that God will give us the strength to do infinite, to endure and to finish the job well. We can expect that. And we can hope that things might change, but we can expect that his will will be done and he will give us the strength to endure whatever's going on in our lives in those moments. And so as we close in our prayer, we too can say, rise, let us go. So as we, let's just take a moment and, and reflect what's going on in your life. I have driven my poor wife nuts for the last couple of years. Um, I sense, and, and some of you know, I sense, I have a sense of 
There's something ahead for Cindy and I and Josiah. I don't know what it is, but is it missions? Is it a church somewhere? Is it planning a church in the state? I haven't got a clue, but I have this sense. And I keep playing around with the process and I keep talking to Cindy and we're praying about it. And I think one of the things I've learned as I prepared for this message for me, apparently, and not for you, was (laughs) even though God hasn't said, here's where you're going, I need to keep moving and serving faithfully him. Now, today, in Houghton, over at the end, wherever God has me, I need to keep doing things instead of sitting back and just, okay, well, I've prayed, I've prayed, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and, and grump and whine. I can't do that. And as we, just take a moment as we close in prayer, and I'll close in a moment, but I'll give you an opportunity just to reflect. Maybe you're going through some things, and you're, you've got expectations, and you've got hopes, and you've been going to God. Give them to God again, and then ask God to endure until, the, until he gives you the answer. Let's just take a few moments, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord God, we surrender to you our will. And we ask that you take it and you hold it carefully in your great, powerful hands. You know our heart's desire. You ask us to bring our heart's desire to you. And so we have and we will continue to because you love us so much. You want us to voice those and and communicate those to you. And so, God, we also, in that act of giving to you our treasure, we also ask that you would give us the strength to carry on, to rise up and go forth as we wait on you. And we will give you glory and honor. We will serve you with cheerful hearts, whether here or there, whatever it is, Lord, as we eagerly await your good and perfect will. Amen. Let us stand together and sing the hymn. I don't have the bolt in here.
Receive the benediction. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Amen. Thank you.